As we enter the second episode of Stories from the Atlantic, a small storm is raging in the southwest part of Iceland. During this particular storm in mid-January, I was sitting inside my car at the base of the mountain Esja in an area called Kjallarnes. The gusts of wind reached 30 meters a second and the car shook in the faint light of morning. But it wasn't the storm that stood out in any unusual way or which made me decide on dedicating this episode to a phenomena that defines so much of Iceland's weather for more than six months a year. I often quickly forget which winters of our past have been unusually bad, but the winter of 2018 has been stormy, to say the least. There are always a couple of defining moments during the passing of a year in every country. Some are marked symbolically with social or religious events that are equally as important as having a clear sense of time and date, whether celebrated due to a sense of relevance or just a valid reason to get out of work. Others are more unstable, unpredictable, but still certain to arrive at some point. Having grown up and lived in Iceland most of my life, there are a few of those moments that come to mind. Like the morning you leave the house, sometime during autumn, and the air is still, but colder and crisper than the days before, as if someone had opened up a big invisible window in the sky during the night, from which a freezing cold entered and left us with a refreshing chill. Mostly before such an event, there will have been a period of low-pressure systems, with rain and winds blowing most of the leaves off the trees, nature's prop department getting the stage ready for the next act, which is winter. Storms seem almost to have made themselves at home by then, lurking just outside the coastline, or making a mad brew up in the highlands, always close by, and only a minute away from creating some sort of mayhem. Each storm or low-pressure system, as opposed to the ruling high-pressure system of Greenland next door, which commonly results in cold winters but fewer storms, is reported on and spoken about widely. In swimming pools, workplaces, in homes or on the news, the weather is a common topic of conversation. This episode will not be the only one I make about weather in Iceland, let alone some sort of definitive account of a thousand years, living in the subarctic North Atlantic Ocean. Nay, instead, we will use a couple of perfectly fine storms in February of 2018 to gain insights into what such weather means on land and at sea and how bad weather affects the social life of people in other countries by conversations with tourists confronted with an oncoming Icelandic storm. We start on a stormy day, though not a full-blown storm, on February 9th, 2018, by a place in Reykjavik where no matter how bad the weather is, there seems always to be a group of people standing around. The famous metal sculpture, Sun Voyager, Solfarit, by artist Jón Gunnar Árnason, stands at the northern seafront of Reykjavik by Saibrut, attracting tourists who take their photos posed in front of a ship representing dreams and undiscovered territories, and above all, an ode to the sun. On this particular day, the sun hit behind the thick clouds and the wind was picking up as I spoke to Ivan Morales and Carla Sica from Mexico about what constitutes bad weather back home. When we came, the weather in summer is too hot, 
too very hot. Okay, there we go. So you call that bad weather. Bad weather. And in winter, in winter is too. The wind is so strong that the trucks turn out. This, this wind is. This wind is nothing if if we compare it to La Ventosa. Although Carla had listed the more positive aspects of Mexico's mild weather and good food, it was Ivan who pointed out excessive heat in the summertime and a strong wind in La Ventosa, in the state of Oaxaca. The reason is topography. Two mountains that form the narrowest part of the country, where wind gets funneled from the Caribbean to the Pacific, with average wind speeds between 20 to 40 miles per hour or 10 to 18 meters a second, those speeds can reach well over 50 miles per hour, 25 meters per second, and more. Though mostly in Spanish, YouTube is full of videos showing freight trucks blown over by the wind in La Ventosa. Reading up on it later, I discovered that the wind has become a lucrative force in the region. The steady blowing wind during nine months of the year makes the beaches on the Pacific coast side a mecca for kite surfing, as well as a resource for energy production. Windmills scatter the landscape, having increased dramatically in numbers and production between 2008 and 2015, as reported by the New York Times in a 2016 article. Though the energy production shot up from 160 megawatts to 2,360 during that time, the article focuses on the lack of wealth left behind in the area, making the comparison to the wind itself, blowing past, leaving nothing or little for the locals. But back to the growing wind in Reykjavik, where I next spoke to two young men from Indiana, USA. Tyler and Tim gave me a general sense of the weather in their home state. Uh, I would say that Indiana is pretty uh, average as far as the weather goes, at least in the United States. Um, what people kind of say about Indiana is that if you don't like the weather, wait 30 minutes and it'll change. <laughs> it's, it's typically got summers that get up to 100 degrees, winters that go below freezing. Um, in central Indiana, we usually get snow a few days of the year, some ice as well. As Tyler is the son of farmers, I asked him what type of weather could be damaging to crops, which in Iceland would be unusually late snowstorms and rain in late summer, risking the drying of grass before wrapped in plastic. Sure, in Indiana, the, the biggest uh, kind of challenge with weather is probably uh, droughts or too much rain, one of those two. We, we, we typically get 45 uh, inches of rain in Indiana a year, which is perfect for corn, soybeans, uh, wheat, that, those kind of crops. Um, and, but, the, but the biggest difference is whether or not it rains enough and at what times of the summer it rains uh, to keep the crops going. I asked about the type of weather which might lead to a more widespread effect than just on farming and whether Indiana had any seriously bad weather. Yeah, so tor tornadoes and blizzards are probably the two things. In, in Indiana we probably had maybe we had a tornado every two or three years maybe, Tim? Yeah, yeah maybe two or three years we'll have a tornado and then uh, in the winter we'll have ice storms which can take out power lines or um, be too heavy on roofs and they can collapse or vehicles on the, on the road and that kind of stuff. Indiana is in what we call the, the tornado alley, so it has more tornadoes than most other parts of the country, but we're kind of used to it as well. So yeah, but there are worse places, but there are places that never get tornadoes. But as far as deadly weather, that would be our one thing, is tornadoes. Usually after our tornado hits, a bunch of people will dig shelters in their basements or garages it, it, it is a, is a precaution for the next time. And usually in the fall or in the winter, we'll start seeing ice trucks get out um, to salt the roads in advance of those storms. But otherwise, it's pretty easy to live there. As I left, the sea had turned dark with a clear touch of green, while the sky in the south carried dark doom, contrasted with a pure white sky to the north, ominous signs that something big was brewing. 
Work took me out of town in the afternoon, first to the airport, then a two-hour drive east, and finally, back again, which was by far the most demanding part of the drive. The storm was already hitting hard and sections of the highway were closed, calling for a long detour. The dry snow and heavy wind created perfect conditions for whiteouts as I drove in darkness along road 427, which by midday had become the only alternative to the highway. Still, it seemed empty, perhaps as the blowing snow made visibility limited, and soon I was playing a game of rally reactions. Zero was full visibility, meaning no whiteout, and 100 was a full-on whiteout with absolutely no visibility. Not that I was driving fast, far from it, but losing all visibility in less than a second was nerve-wracking enough, giving me miniature quick pangs of stress in the stomach. Thankfully, the road stayed clear of snow as it simply blew over on its way out to sea, and I made it safely, though slowly, back. A few days later, on the 17th of February, a new storm was brewing, about to give the rescue service plenty to do, either making sure things didn't blow away or picking up the rubble, as well as dealing with stuck drivers in the hundreds. Down at the seafront again, in Reykjavik, I spoke to Patricia McGowan and Michael Murray to gain some insights into what bad weather means in the north of Ireland. So I'm from Donegal, I'm kind of probably the nearest place to Iceland, um, it's the north of Ireland. Um, at the moment, I know in Ireland, it's we're getting the tail end of the snow currently. Um, so yeah, no, I suppose the bad weather would be really kind of the snow, rain, it's constantly raining, yeah. constantly. More, more, so, more so rain. Uh, a wee bit of snow this is probably the first time in years that we've had snow in february and i think it is the the forecast at home says it's kind of the tail end of the snow blizzards that iceland are sort of getting at the moment whenever it snows in ireland we don't have the the same uh, infrastructure in terms of uh, quality car tires and and um snow plows and things like that so basically when it when it snows in ireland and snows bad the play the country comes to a standstill I asked about the social aspects of the weather as a topic of conversation in Ireland. I'm a hairdresser, so I'm constantly like working with people all day, and it's the first thing, oh, it's cold outside today, or did you see that rain? Or, yeah. you know, it's constantly number one topic is the weather. Yeah, it's yeah. nearly like a, a, a general greeting. Well, how are you doing? It's awful, awful weather today, isn't it? It's kind of like a, a conversation starter opener for people around home, so it's, yeah. it, it is yeah, a topic. It's, a, it's, it's more like an icebreaker in the talking to somebody if you don't know them especially yeah it's no conversation opener most of the time yeah it's just a general thing that people talk about like yeah, yeah. children would talk about it even coming in and outside of, like I, I'm a school teacher so like children would even talk about oh it's cold outside today sir and things like that so like yeah it is like everybody talks it from from children to grandparents yeah everybody talks it well there are those who must engage with the weather on a deeper and more dangerous level due to their occupation in Iceland, it has always been the fishermen who are most at risk when it comes to the weather. Though fishermen had a variety of beliefs in former times of what not to do or say in order to have a safe trip, the weather was the main risk. Today's new ships, trawlers especially, along with the revolution in weather forecasting, 
has turned the profession around in terms of safety. Various factors like education and safety precautions play a huge role, explaining partly the dramatic drop in fatalities at sea from 203 between 1971 to 1980 down to 21 in 2001 to 2010. Going further back, we start to count fatalities in the thousands. And remember that for many of those centuries, Iceland's population was somewhere around 30,000. So the weather took countless boats and men through the centuries, and weather was often the culprit. I wanted to get some insights into the relationship a fisherman has with the weather, so I called my friend Gventur, now a captain of a whale-watching boat, but having since the age of 14 fully experienced the many faces of the North Atlantic Ocean. Gventur was born in the town of Keplavik, out on the southwest peninsula of Reykjanes, but lived most his life as a fisherman in the small town of Olasvik, on the north side of the Snæfellsnes peninsula, with fishing dating back a thousand years. I asked Gventur about the changes to the language around the weather, like the appearance of meters per second. In the year 2000, the Weather Service adopted the more scientific and perhaps more accurate language of meters per second. Before that, wind was designated with wind level from 0 to 12 and words that corresponded to each wind level. For those that had for decades become finely tuned to the weather through ancient words, the change was upsetting, though he said most got used to it pretty quickly. Many of those words had been around since the settlement period, and when the words stinningskaldi andvari kulgola stinningskola kaldi allkvassvindur kvassviðri stormur ofsaviður and farviðri were dropped from the broadcasted weather news in exchange for the bland meters a second, Many were outraged. In 1999, for example, a group of parliamentarians opposed the abandoning of the older terms, claiming their disappearance undermined the Icelandic language, while the Meteorological Service defended the change, saying that fishermen had called for it as part of increasing safety. Having taken a course in meteorology in school, I always remember how surprised I was learning the true meaning of the word rok, R-O-K. Rok is usually taken to mean windy in daily conversation, but like Gventur confirms, it is the strongest type of wind in meteorological terms, translating as whole gale or storm, at which point sailors must by all means head to safety or react properly while at sea. But there is a word that most people know, although only sailors truly understand it. So I asked Gventur what Braila actually refers to. Braila was in my mind referring to a situation when the sea was so bad that no one would be out sailing 
and the dictionary translation is actually foul weather. According to Gventur, Braila can refer to a variety of weather, from kind of shitty to very bad, though not necessarily too bad for sailing. Wind could be 10 meters a second, 15 or 20, but simply put, Braila means that fishing is hard, though not necessarily too hard. When the weather turns truly foul, Gventur uses blunt words like stark raving mad weather, better known as snælduvitlust veður, or of course, rok. The ability to predict and understand the weather has changed dramatically from the days of early morning radio forecasts. When fishing on smaller boats, called smábatar, small boats, or trillur, he'd get up and tune in to the radio for the 4.30 a.m. forecast, and then at 6.30 and 10.30, if the forecast suggested bad weather. Those on small boats tended to be on the same page when it came to the decision to not go out on a certain day, while larger boats, 150 tons and more, tend to be out in most types of weather, though having to pull in the net if a storm is raging. Another factor that he mentioned was how the same weather could lead to very different conditions depending on where you were. Off the West Fjords, there can be a senseless storm raging, while the conditions on the Breidafjörður Bay, not necessarily closer to land, are simply much milder, the difference being deep ocean or shallower waters with different terrain on the bottom. But of all the fishing locations, many dating back a thousand years, used by dozens of nationalities, there is one which outdoes most when it comes to bad weather. In the Greenland Ocean, between the west fjords of Iceland and the east coast of Greenland, storms and currents can make it treacherous for ships. And he told me of situations where for two days straight, a ship can be under constant attack from the elements calling for extreme caution by the captain. The worst storms can and have often sparked fear and insecurity in him afterwards, something that he says fades and entails lessons of how to show more caution. But he thinks today's obsession with offering trauma relief to those that experience any kind of upsetting or potentially dangerous situations has simply gone too far. Me and Gventur talked about how the present fishing system, known as the quota system, implemented shortly after 1980, took away the pressure to fish in bad weather. I thought of all the men, it has been a male-dominated field for sure, who through the ages were dependent on the competence of their captain, his decision-making or risk-taking, 
and finally the limited strength of the earlier boats. In the old times, in the small fishing villages, men were judged and valued by how many tons they fished. This is not to say that accidents generally came from risk-taking, as I have no research to back that. The correlation between catch and respect would likely result in some pushing the limits of safety, but it must have played the part, along with creating fear among crew members who could not object to the orders of the captain. Therefore, in every town and among every crew, it was known if the captain was considered the risk-taker, making him, I'm sure, hated among many wives. The history of fishing in Iceland dates back to the settlement period, starting in 874 AD, although Basque fishermen might have been around before, as well as the uncertain presence of Irish monks. Hundreds of books have been written about ships in storms off the coast of Iceland, either ending with a close escape, rescue or death. Small villages could lose a substantial part of the adult men in one storm, leaving widows, fatherless kids and a large tombstone of remembrance in the local cemetery. Though the last decades have become so safe that fatalities are extremely rare, the storms are still there. I asked Gventur if there's any storms that stand out in his memory. During a trip off the West Fjords, on board the trawler Laurus, a sudden warning of an oncoming storm came from a ship nearby, reporting extremely bad weather. He describes the weather, lasting five hours, as a tempest, but it's the way he says it that confirms the force if you listen to the emphasis. The visibility from the window of the bridge was less than a meter, but they and the boat were safe. Other ships got hit with rogue waves, one breaking badly in the Breidafjörður Bay on its way back. The captain of that boat never sailed again. The storm came suddenly and with no warning in the forecast, like so many that have caught fishermen off guard throughout the centuries. He told me about some of the most challenging areas off the coast of Iceland when it comes to storms. He told me about some of the most challenging areas off the coast of Iceland when it comes to storms and fishing, like Reykjaneshryggur, an ocean ridge off the southwest coast. In winds over 30 meters, only the big trawlers stay put in an area of big waves, massive underwater mountains, and conditions that spell destruction to lesser vessels. He also recounted another storm which he experienced at the age of 14, barely new at sea, when a sudden and unpredicted storm hit in the Faxaflóa Bay, resulting in completely mad weather, a boat that bounced around, him lying seasick, but not really realizing the extent of the danger they were in. Though the large ships of today, over 100 tons, are exceedingly safe, his mind does think of the hardship faced by those that came before him, rowing small boats out into an ocean that could go from calm to stormy with little or no warning. On the other hand, we seldom hear about problems at sea, 
even if chaos reigns on the stormy land of Iceland. The stories of catastrophes are thankfully now mostly found in books, like the series Utkatl, best translated as Rescue Mobilization, where heroic efforts were made in the worst conditions. The weather in Iceland has and will create challenges. Some have been met with planning and safety measures, like avalanche protection in the east and west fjords, while bad decision-making by individual drivers in winter seems to have no boundaries. The coming weeks, from mid-February in 2018, brought with them one storm after the other, resulting in road closures, hundreds of cars stuck, things blowing off, water damage, and a near overload on Iceland's volunteer rescue groups. Then suddenly it warmed, and in an instant it seemed that spring was close at hand. In March, in Iceland, that would be called wishful thinking. That's it from Stories from the Atlantic, but I hope you'll be back with us next week.